This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. There's an old saying that when a senator looks in a mirror, he or she sees a future president. But we might have to expand that quote a little bit because we have a number of House members, as well as senators, as well as mayors, as well as former governors and governors running for president, as well as retired members of Congress. So it appears that if you're a Democrat, at least, every time you look in the mirror, you see a future president. (laughs) Uh, Helping us break down this very expansive field of Democratic candidates for president for 2020 is Leah Askaranam. She is a reporter slash analyst for Inside Elections, and she is about one of the smartest people I know, especially when it comes to politics. Leah, welcome to Political Theater. Thank you, Jason. You're also one of the smartest people I know when it comes to politics. <laughs> that's, that's very nice of you to say. We're, uh, we live sad lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, like, w- yesterday, uh, which is Tuesday, uh, for, for for, for us in real life here, but maybe not when people are listening to the podcast, uh, Bernie Sanders threw his, he doesn't really wear hats, I guess he threw his winter winter parka in the, in the ring uh, mm-hmm. for, of candidates. He raised a boatload of cash uh, within a few hours of announcing that he was a candidate for president. And he joined this sort of growing field. Uh, even among just his colleagues in the Senate, there's Amy Klobuchar, there's Elizabeth Warren, there's Cory Booker, there's Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, there's a couple others that might run, Jeff Merkley, uh, Sherrod Brown, and that's just in the Senate. Um, there, I mean, I think we, we counted and we came up with about 19 candidates. Is, I mean, what, uh, you know, you're in your uh, travels uh, trying to make sense of the political world for inside elections. Uh, what are you? What's the kind of effect that you're seeing on not just the the field and fundraising, but also some of these downscale ra- or down not, not downscale uh, down, down ballot yeah down ballot yep. races? Uh, because I mean, are we going to have anybody who wants to run for governor or senate or dog catcher uh, if everybody's running for president? I mean, that's a huge question and a huge problem. I think we'll see in a, a few states, Texas, for example, mm-hmm. um, two of the kind of most popular Democratic Texans could be running for president. And we've that's, seen... That's Julian Castro, the former mayor of San Antonio, and uh, Beto O'Rourke, former congressman from El Paso. Yep. And we know that especially Beto O'Rourke has significant fundraising ability, mm-hmm. raised something like $80 million. I think it was $11 billion is $11 the official, billion. Yes, yeah, is no, the that official sounds, uh, word. That yes. might have been just online was right, $80 right. Million. <laughs> um, But uh, if, you know, Democrats could get Beto O'Rourke to run for Senate in Texas, does that mean that they would be able to get Texas turnout for the presidential race and for a bunch of competitive House races in mm-hmm. suburban Texas. So all of these presidential decisions have huge consequences down ballot. Right. And and we saw that Beto O'Rourke's uh, Senate campaign had a huge effect, most likely, on the House races that Democrats were able to flip. They were, a lot of people were able to sort of piggyback on the turnout that he was generating. And we saw, you know, quite a few Democratic pickups in places like Texas. And so if you have a, you know, a, a less uh, illustrious uh, candidate uh, than somebody like O'Rourke or somebody like Castro, who was also HUD secretary under the mm-hmm. uh, administration of President Barack Obama, uh, you're, you're losing out on some real star power. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the potential consequences. The other is, of course, that people seem to be looking for fresh faces. 
Beto O'Rourke was not known mm-hmm. nationally or not widely known before his Senate run. And mm-hmm. so it's definitely possible that some former House candidates uh, who lost their 2018 races but were strong fundraisers could run for Senate and could have that same kind of appeal. We don't know for sure. But we do know how important it is to have that email list ready to go, to have those connections ready to go. For example, yesterday, Bernie Sanders was able to raise you know, more money in a single day than most of the other candidates have so far. Like six so, million and counting or something like exactly. that. Exactly. From like a, a lot of small donors, too. I exactly. Mean, yeah. I mean, he has that infrastructure. He mm-hmm. has that list. He has a, you know, you press a button and all of a sudden you have tons of people getting emails saying, you know, donate to my campaign. So either way, I think you could see a potential benefit. Now, we also have this very wide range of experience. You mentioned O'Rourke. I mean, that you know, he became sort of a superstar last year. But before that, he was just a three-term congressman mm-hmm. and a former El Paso city councilman. Um, you, you have you know, people who are very familiar to the public, like Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe if, even if they're not up, up, you know, following politics, they may watch Saturday Night Live and they've seen Larry David imitate him. Right. But, so, like, <laughs> Probably certain, can't tell the difference. Right. <laughs> yeah. it, it elevates. And not everybody's gotten that treatment. Uh, John Delaney, I do not think, has had that treatment, the former congressman from Maryland uh, who's running for president. Uh, he, he hasn't ha- had his Saturday Night Live I haven't moment, seen it. I might have know. missed that. <laughs> I might have gone to sleep early that night. I'd be curious to see who what actor they got for that, uh, you know. Um, but the, I mean, we, so we have this wide range of experience. You have somebody like Sanders who's run for president before. You know, and he's also uh, on the, he would be among the oldest people mm-hmm. uh, to run, 77 years old. I think that would be the oldest person to run for, for, for president, certainly to be nominated. You have Joe Biden, the former vice president, who's 76 years old and, and was a senator and then vice president for eight years. And on the other hand, you have folks like Andrew Yang, who is a, a tech entrepreneur. He decided he was going to run for president. He's 44 years old. He has very little political experience. And Tulsi Gabbard is 37 years old. I mean, she's a congresswoman. So you, you have this very wide range of experience. If people want fresh faces, they have a lot of them, right? They <laughs> to have choose from. lots of faces to choose from. <laughs> they have, uh, I think, I mean, obviously age is one thing to take into account. I think that Bernie Sanders was able to benefit from still being kind of a fresh face in 2016, even Mm -hmm. though he was in his 70s, because he was seen as the alternative to an establishment figure, Hillary Clinton, Mm -hmm. who had been covered in the news a lot more than Bernie Sanders had been in the 90s and the early thousands. So I think that... Oh, I like that. The thousands, not the aughts. The aughts? Uh, the aughts. I, I, I actually, I've never liked saying the aughts. I paused. I, I didn't like, know the right way. I like the thousands or the zeros. Let's say between <laughs> 2000 and 2015. Oh, that's clunky. I like the zeros or the I thousands. I think Hillary Clinton probably got more coverage. <laughs> probably. Uh, but this time, he's mm-hmm. had a campaign behind him. He mm-hmm. will have baggage. There have been you know, negative stories about him um, that are relatively widely known part of the discourse people know about him mm-hmm. um and especially in the for example in the house race this year where we saw democrats pick up 40 seats in the u.s house one of the reasons why democratic strategists believe they were able to do that was because they had so many candidates who didn't have a legislative record right. so many businessmen and veterans and doctors so they couldn't, Republican opponents couldn't go after their vote on health care. They couldn't go after their vote on some kind of city funding measure. Um, and this time, I think there's a bit of a desire to find that same kind of magic 
quotient, somebody mm-hmm. who's able to bring in enough experience, enough of a heavyweight to be president, but also somebody who maybe doesn't have years of negative news coverage and uh, votes to mine mm-hmm. in opposition. So that seems, I mean, taking up that point, that, seemed, that would seem to put somebody who is a U.S. senator who has to exist in Mitch McConnell's Republican-led Senate yeah. at a, a somewhat of a disadvantage because McConnell can schedule votes that are simply designed to get Democrats on record as, as you know, kind of painting them and defining them as they want, whether it's as, uh, you know, the, the, the Green New Deal, for instance, that people are talking about that it introduced in the in the House and Senate by primarily progressive Democrats. So this is an attempt to get wean us off of fossil fuels. Mitch McConnell thinks this is a delightful idea, at least to get Democrats on record. And he says, we're going to be voting on it. So right then and there, you have, let's see, I I have to have a list just to name them all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, Kirsten Gillibrand, and maybe Jeff Merkley and Sherrod Brown, as we mentioned at the top Mm -hmm. of the show, on record on the Green Deal, in which Mitch McConnell would say, you know, this will put these folks in a difficult situation in, say, coal country, or we could take this to our advantage. Right. And in the event that uh, Montana Governor Steve Bullock runs or mm-hmm. former Vice President Joe Biden runs, they don't have to vote on that. Right. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. Uh, does South Bend, Indiana. South Bend, Indiana. Also 37 years old. There you go. And mm-hmm. yeah, so he does not have to, he doesn't have to vote on that. He can be a little bit more um, strategic with his wording. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to do a yes or no answer, which we know politicians do not right. love providing. He, right. I mean, and, you know, Buttigieg is an interesting case too because he's, He's young. He's 37. He's a military veteran. He's a gay man mm-hmm. and a Democrat who's been successful in a Republican part of the world, uh, Indiana. I mean, he's the mayor of South Bend. South Bend's not a, a huge city. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, it's, on, it's on the smaller size of metropolitan areas. But he's been fairly successful as a mayor and has a very positive kind of message and doesn't have to worry about taking votes or things like that on the Green New Deal. Right. And I mean, even, I mean, if you're looking at the group of senators, I would imagine that somebody like Amy Klobuchar might have a little bit of an easier time than somebody like Cory Booker, who's just gotten a lot of press coverage mm-hmm. in the last... There's a documentary about him very, exactly. <laughs> a few years ago about Newark when he was the mayor of New York. Whereas and... Amy Klobuchar seems to... I mean, she's really popular in Minnesota. Right. Um, she's incredibly popular in state. Um, I don't know how many people know her outside the state yet. So I mean, there's less kind of national coverage, which means maybe a little bit less baggage. We'll see. So another thing about Klobuchar is that she just won re-election. Uh, she mm-hmm. won her third term, you know, with barely breaking a stride. I mean, she really was yeah. able to kind of, uh, you know, save some cash, just get out and talk to people and, you know, was had, had the benefit of not having a particularly strong opponent. And so she's won a, a third term and she's kind of safe in her seat and she can run for president. And if it doesn't work out, she can just go back to the Senate. Mm-hmm. There, Not everybody is like that. I mean, every House member uh, so has to run every two years. So mm-hmm. if somebody like Tulsi Gabbard or Eric Swalwell, mm-hmm. who's also been rumored to be running for president, if they want to really commit to this, if they think it's not going to work out as a presidential candidate, they need to get out if they want to remain in the House. It's hard to run for both uh, well, at the same time. And even just announcing that you're planning to can open a primary. We've already seen that that uh, Tulsi Gabbard's House race has started getting attention in mm-hmm. the primary. Um, so just even announcing that you might run, I think, creates a little bit of vulnerability. It's not going to create lots of vulnerability, I don't think, for Cory Booker. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, New York is still going to vote Democrat. New Jersey is still going to vote Democrat. Right. 
I, I should mention too that Booker is um, he is in cycle. He's up in twenty twenty yes. for reelection to the Senate, although he can run for both offices, yep. much like Joe Biden ran for vice president and reelection in two thousand eight, yep. and, and won both races. Right. So is is there an advantage for somebody who is maybe on the younger side or somebody who may not be the strongest candidate to run for president with the knowledge that they're not probably going to even crack the top tier? I mean, and, and then they go back to just their their day job of being a House member or a mayor or a governor. Is there is there a distinct advantage to that or is it is it truly like a just a grueling toll on a candidate? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I've definitely heard that. um it's helpful if you want to be, you know, in the cabinet, if you want to be in the administration. One of my questions about Pete Buttigieg was that, you know, there's a going to be a governor's race. Governor's she, race, yeah. Governor's race in um, Indiana, mm-hmm. which is where he is the mayor. And I was curious to see if maybe he would run for governor if he chose not to run for or if he decided that president wasn't working out for him. Right. And it doesn't sound like he has much interest in that. So it's not that he's trying to set himself up for statewide office at this point. It might just be kind of more of a national profile or maybe getting into D.C. politics rather than state politics. Or maybe he does see himself as like, I'm going to be the next Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, John Kennedy, you know, all elected at fairly young ages. And, and, you know, why not? I mean, who would have thought that Barack Obama would have been able to defeat Hillary Clinton in 2008? And if there are already 19 people running, I mean, what percentage of the vote do you need in Iowa to win? I mean... Well, particularly with, uh, you know, upwards of 15 to 20 candidates. I mean, the, the last time we saw something like that was, oh, boy, three years ago. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> when there were 17 candidates uh, for the Republican nomination and the eventual nominee uh, through a sea of experienced governors, senators and House members uh, was Donald Trump. Yeah, with less than 30 percent in right. Iowa. And then rode that, you know, basically ro- rolled over a longtime House member and governor, John Kasich. And uh, a well-respected Senator and Marco Rubio and well-respected former Governor Jeb Bush. I mean, the li- list goes on of people that he defeated with a fairly small chunk of the electorate. Mm-hmm. So why is everybody announcing now? I mean, it's, it's, it seems early. Is it early? I don't think it's that early. Mm-hmm. I mean, once you know, Elizabeth Warren announces, once you start seeing fundraising start, you kind of have to jump in. Joe Biden will be able to wait a little bit longer because people know who he is. Mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders was able to wait a little bit longer because, again, people know who he is. He already has a, a campaign infrastructure, an entire apparatus that allows him to raise money. A lot of these other candidates don't have that. Uh, they don't have the same kind of national profile. And so I think it's wise to start early and make sure you're kind of planting those seeds. This is the time to open up a restaurant in Iowa, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, or, or New Hampshire. I mean, it, it, it's a, it, it, we're seeing already a lot of traveling just among the media and a lot of these candidates. You can see a lot of releases on this person will be in South Carolina, this person will be in New Hampshire, this person will be in Iowa. And it does feel early, but I mean, Iowa is 11 months away, mm-hmm. which is nothing. And, and more importantly, the Iowa State Fair is only six months away, I guess, in, yeah. at this point. So it's not not a lot of time. When you think about like where, you know, you, we mentioned that people want to some people may want to just raise their profile for the cabinet or they want to get attention for being like a potential vice president mm-hmm. or, or another office and so forth. When, is, when do you think we'll start to fee- see that first wave of washouts? Because, That's a good yeah. question. I think you'll start seeing people who realize they need to focus on their House and Senate races and that they can't 
they're not going to win the presidential race and mm-hmm. they'll they'll drop out. So I would look for those people who have to choose in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody like Tulsi Gabbard, I would keep an eye out for that relatively early on. People can, I mean, what we one of the lessons from 2016 is even when there's not a clear path to victory, some of these people stay in the race until the last moment. Right. Um, we saw that in the Republican primary. We did see that uh, West Virginia, uh, West Virginia three mm-hmm. House candidate has already dropped out. Richard Ojeda. Richard Ojeda. Uh, so Ojeda, sorry. Uh, we have already seen that's my Arizona roots. Our, out, our so. first candidates decide that it wasn't as easy as they thought it would right. be. This, and this is a guy who, a Democrat who ran for the House, uh, lost, and instead of saying like, "Oh, I've lost the House race, so I'm now ready to run for president," he, <laughs> right? He decided, "Oh, maybe this maybe isn't such president. a great idea. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'll run for something." A little more localized. If Donald Trump right. can do it, that actually is a lot of, I mean, we speak with candidates all the time at Inside Elections. Um, the idea that Donald Trump did it so I could too is right. real. Candidates do feel that way. You know, we've been recording the podcast for about 15 minutes, so we'll probably walk out of here and, and a, a few other people will have to already <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> declared their candidacy. So we'll leave it at that. But Leah, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. Uh, there's a lot of candidates to sift through and uh, we, we only scratched the surface. So we'll just, we'll keep coming back to this uh, periodically on political theater. Great. Looking forward to it. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. Also, you may have noticed that we have an upgraded introduction for our podcast. Thanks primarily to members of Congress who love to talk about political theater. Let us know what you think about it on Twitter at Roll Call or DM me at Jason J. Dick. And thank you for listening.